welcome to the Faith and Science Podcast. My name is Tyler Bublitz, and welcome back for the third Sunday of Advent for the week of December 15th, 2019, and I'm excited to have you here. I'm excited to dig into this week's podcast, and I'm excited that the countdown to the beginning of the Christmas season is quickly, quickly approaching, and the preparation time, and as we are preparing for Christ's coming, and remembering that while also looking forward. It's an interesting paradox to be in as we are in this season and trying to figure out what this all means. And I think it leads to a lot of different things. I was thinking about it this week, especially that I have a significant other who lives in a much warmer part of the climate here in the United States this time of year. And I guess part of my preparation for Christmas, part of my preparation for Advent is snow. I'm so used to seeing the white Christmas and was actually thinking about just the other day how it'd be very difficult for me to be prepared for Christmas when there isn't snow on the ground. I distinctly remember this is getting to be five years ago or so. It was the day before Christmas Eve or Christmas, I think it was the day before Christmas Eve We had taken a quick family vacation down to Kansas City, and I remember it was 70 degrees in the middle of December, and that was the expected high. And to me, that just felt so foreign, so weird. It's just not how I prepared for Christmas. And I think that type of parallel this week will actually tie in really well with the gospel text when we get there. And I think there is so many things of what we have become accustomed to with Christmas and accustomed to what we think and prepare and what we assume that this is all about, that it often leads to a lot of doors of opening them up and really realizing that maybe what we were expecting isn't what is being told to us. And sometimes that we're going to have to go into these unexpected places to find what God is actually intending. So before we get into this week's podcast, I want to look back at last week's Twitter question. The Twitter question from last week was, in your lifetime, what are some things that came into your life that totally changed it? What are things that you didn't expect to be a big thing and became a big thing? And what are some things that never took off like they expected? And I got a really interesting response from somebody going through multiple different things that he has heard in his lifetime that just never took off. A lot of the doom and gloom predictions of the Y2K. And I distinctly remember one of the traditions that our family has picked up came from Y2K. I distinctly remember my father on New Year's Eve deciding right before midnight we might as well go and take a walk because if the world is going to end, we might as well see it. And that has led to now nearly 20 years of going out at New Year's Eve and taking some type of walk to walk in the new year. But lots of Cold War predictions of what that was going to mean. He had a grandfather telling his teenage boys about new nuclear fuel and how you'll buy a tank and it'll last for years. The idea of what the Russian satellites were going to do to our society during the Cold War. A lot of these ideas that through lack of understanding or through over-publicity or over-hype essentially led to not essentially becoming what we thought they could be or would be 
And I think there's a lot of things in life that is. But I also think in that same breath, it's amazing how far some of these things have come. Like we discussed last week, computers just totally have changed our lives. And even just from getting a job to what is part of your job to how much you do on the job has all been reformed and totally transformed over the last easily 50 years a lot can be contributed to computers and the rise of computers in multiple different forms. So let's dig into this week's podcast. The gospel text this week is out of Matthew chapter 11 verses 2 through 11. This is a very interesting text and it's kind of one of the transition points in the gospel here, I think, especially in this Advent season, of showing how Jesus is the Messiah and how it isn't John. So John's in prison and he's been hearing about what Jesus is doing. So he sends word to his disciples, so John's disciples, to go and ask him essentially, are you the one who is to come or are we to wait for another? And Jesus answers in a very interesting way of go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind have received their sight, the lame will walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have good news brought to them, and blessed is anyone who takes no offense at me. They leave, and then Jesus goes into two different camps. And I'm going to take what he actually talks about second first. He praises John the Baptist and how there has been no one greater born of human flesh than John the Baptist, and yet that the kingdom of heaven is greater than he is, that he is a very good, if you want to put it in the words, of a prophet of what he has done, leading the way like we get foretold in Isaiah multiple times. But the part that I really want to focus on and I will come back to is Jesus' response coming from verses 7 to 7 and 8. As they went away, so this is John's disciples, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out into the wilderness and look at? A reed shaking in the wind? What then did you go out to see? Someone dressed in soft robes? Look, Those who wear soft robes are in royal palaces. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you more than a prophet. And that's going to verse 9, talking about John the Baptist and who he is. But I think it also translates a little bit to who Jesus is, too. Based off of what he tells John's disciples. And we'll dig into that a little bit more here in a few minutes. The first reading is from Isaiah chapter 35, verses 1 through 10. This is a really cool reading because to me it shows how when the Lord is present or Jesus is present, how the world changes. The wilderness and the dry land are glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like a crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Shannon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God, coming from verses 1 and 2. And it goes through in this reading how, again, the blind's eyes shall be opened, the deaf shall hear, the lame shall leap like a deer, and the speechless sing for joy. But it continues on how 
the thirsty ground springs of water. The haunt of jackals shall become a swamp. The grass shall become reeds and rushes. This whole idea of how the earth is revitalized through Christ. And so it's this renewing of the creation in a way, not just in the human sense and the humans, but also the response of nature through the influence of Christ coming in and what that looks like, this flourishing of the ground. The psalm this week comes from Psalm chapter 146, verses 5 through 10. And this continues along that idea that we've been kind of picking up here, that the Lord brings forth, if you want to put it, a happier or a hopeful world, that food is given out to the hungry, the prisoners are set free, the eyes of the blind are open, and that we then should be giving praise to God because of this. The second reading this week is from James chapter 5, verses 7 through 10, and I would argue that this is one of the important keys to this whole week, is the James text here. This comes in and describes how we have to still be patient for the Lord and uses the example of a farmer waits for the precious crop from the earth, being patient with it until it receives the early and the late rains. This whole idea of not being over-anxious or the whole idea of a quick fix, this idea that things of value will take time, and that thus, when we have our prophets and people speaking, We have to still understand that it still takes time for these things to happen and that maybe when we're expecting things to happen and on the timeline that humans are used to, is it necessarily how things will go? But before we get into how does this all tie together with science, I have to do my shameless plug for Working Preacher. If you haven't checked out Working Preacher, I'd highly recommend it. Between their Sermon Brainways podcast, their commentaries, their discussions, it helps me as a lay person who is not an ordained minister listen to some amazing professors at Luther Seminary in St. Paul who are teaching people to become pastors and the continuing education that comes from that. So if you haven't checked out Working Preacher, I would highly recommend it. The second thing I'm going to shout out is if you haven't checked out God Friended Me, again, I think it's a show that's really worth watching. I think it's really interesting to see this idea of how does God work in the everyday? How does God work with the typical person to do miraculous things? And I would say it's one of the best shows on television that I've stumbled across. So if you haven't checked out God Friended Me on CBS, I would highly recommend it. So how does all these texts come together? I think when Jesus starts talking about the idea of what were you looking for in the wilderness, expecting this prestigious person, and yet we got John. And I think in a way, we also have to remember if he's talking about John this way and says that he is yet the kingdom of God is greater than he is, but then he is stating in the same breath that among those born of women, no one has arisen greater than John the Baptist. Why wouldn't this also be somewhat referring to himself and what that looks like? 
We have got this whole image and we are, will be getting it here in the next few weeks of this ragtag bunch of people together celebrating the birth of a baby that really in the scheme of things doesn't look significant and looking back on it we see it as significant. You have a ragtag bunch of people and we have coming from the Isaiah text this beautiful image of how the earth is restored through God and Christ coming into it and what does that look like and we have in the psalm this whole idea of what does this all look like what we get this changing of the guard the earth is different because of this and that through that we should give praise and homage to that And James then sits there and says, but we have to be patient. In all of this, for all of this to happen, we have to be patient. We can't get overly excited and expect that it's just going to happen exactly this way, and this is what's going to happen, and if it doesn't happen right away, something's wrong. This is one of the hardest things in science, is especially when you're trying to do long-term forecasting realizing that your experiment doesn't just happen in a vacuum. Understanding that your experiment can influence other things. We've talked on the channel before about keystone species, and I'm going to go there again this week with two different examples. One that we've talked about before, and I'll leave that for a second, and one that I just found out about, but I think makes a lot of sense. And we often, again, don't realize the impact of what we're having on something until things are changing. And often at times that can be a hard thing to look at and to reflect upon. So the keystone species that we're going to talk about are whales. And you're kind of probably asking, how is a whale a keystone species? And if you're trying to remember what is a keystone species, a keystone species is a species that has greater impact on the environment than we'd expect. Essentially, if you take this species out of the ecosystem, it's very possible that the ecosystem completely changes. Not like a typical extinction where, okay, that food source is gone, but that this species is affecting the whole ecosystem And it would possibly make it so that that ecosystem can no longer exist in the way that it is. And the way that whales impact ecosystems, the oceans ecosystem, is because they spend time at multiple different levels of the ocean. They dive deep and then are able to come up to breathe. And by doing that, you're mixing the waters You're having plankton and different things being moved up that's being caught up in the motion of the whale going up and down. They purposely leave plumes of their poop in the upper part of the ocean, in the ones where there's actual light penetrating in, which brings new nutrients to that section of water that typically wouldn't get those nutrients that it's pulling up from below. This causes all this shifting of water and movement that's so important. 
And we've had different governments in the world, I'm going to in this case call out Japan, that the whole idea they decided is if we start harvesting whales, not only does it provide a lot of food, but in theory, they eat krill and fish, so it should make for more fish. And in the time that we have been doing this, we're realizing that fish populations are also dipping in parallel with whales and that the whales with bringing up all this different nutrients was allowing for growth and bringing up plankton which then the fish could eat it also was bringing up plankton that could photosynthesize that could also help neutralize carbon that was in the atmosphere and so you have this much bigger ecosystem than we realize and through all this It is made that through losing whales, we're actually noticing that not only are there less fish, but possibly we're also having a higher impact on our carbon footprint because whales aren't there to help recycle some of this carbon into plankton to go to the bottom of the ocean. This is exactly, to me, how I'm seeing John talking about Jesus from last week and how Jesus is describing what John looks like. And I think in a way also kind of saying, this is also me. Sometimes when we expect that we're doing something just in a small section and it's going to affect one thing, it makes a much bigger impact than we initially think. Or when we're preparing something for one thing to be able to flourish, how it also can set up the conditions for another species to also flourish that maybe is an unexpected result, be it positive or negative. The classic example that gets brought up about this is the wolves in Yellowstone and how they were looking at doing millions upon millions of dollars of restoration for erosion in Yellowstone. And through the reintroduction of wolves, cause for elk to move more, which then cause the aspen trees to grow, which then have roots to be able to hold the soil back. And so you had in this 10, 15, 20 year window, a total transformation of Yellowstone. The health of the ecosystem went up dramatically because you had reintroduced in this case the top predator, and we didn't realize at the time the impact that that predator was having, not only on the elk and different things, but the whole ecosystem itself. But we have to remember for wolf packs to establish in Yellowstone, it didn't just happen overnight. It took years to be able to have not one, but multiple packs in Yellowstone, to have where they're setting up their territories, having them understand and being introduced to this new landscape, understanding then what the territory lines were going to be with other packs as they continued to grow, understanding then how the elk were going to have to react differently with wolves being present, where they were a little bit lazier, if you want to say, beforehand. Jesus is telling us in this case, and I think John kind of prefaced 
last week, but I think it's also Jesus reflecting it back to him, is what did you expect? Did you expect me to come as a Pharisee? Did you expect me to come as a Sadducee helping run the temple? Did you expect me to come as some type of royalty? Did we expect all our prophets to be that way? And Jesus calling out the whole idea that just because you interpret these people as being prestigious doesn't mean that they're going to come that way. Doesn't mean they're going to look that way. We have a lot of judgment of what we perceive people to look like and how many times in our own lives, especially when we're listening to people through an audio form, when we see pictures of them or see them in public and interacting with people, they're different than what we expect. Sometimes good, sometimes a negative perspective. Jesus is calling out this whole idea. The idea that this person fits this mold so that this is what they're going to look like, he's casting that aside. Just like we think if you take and get rid of wolves, the ecosystem will still be fine and there'll be more elk to hunt. If we get rid of whales, there'll be more fish because there's less predators for them. Not understanding that they are providing food for their food later on. Not understanding the scope of what we're in. Our faith is much similar to this. We don't often understand how God is completely working. and We don't understand why at times, and we can assume maybe now, why was he born to carpenters and was assimilated into society slightly? But yet we have John the Baptist, who is essentially the prophet that come before him, who's living in the wilderness, looks like this wild man, possibly looks like, in our mind, a hermit. Why is this the prophet to help proclaim Christ? If we think about John's disciples here, what are they thinking in this whole thing? They've been following John, and then they're bringing this word back that Jesus essentially said, what do you think? You've seen it. Make your own decision. Bring that back to John. See what he thinks. That would be a very confusing time. To me, this is why we study ecosystems. Just like we study scriptures and try to look at these texts in new ways and look at them and think about them and keep coming back to them to try to understand the depth of what God is trying to get at. We are trying to do the same thing with ecosystems and understanding how they work, understanding what are the Plinko sticks, if you remember the game Plinko, that which sticks can't we remove because it's going to cause all the marbles to fall? What are the valuable pieces? What are the ones that are causing greater impact than we realize? And sometimes, and in a lot of cases, those sticks are not the ones we think that they're going to be. Another great example of this, of a great keystone species that you would not expect for prairie ecosystems, prairie dogs are an amazing keystone species, not because they're also providing food for higher up animals in the animal kingdom, but through them making burrows and causing these mounds, it's turning over the soil and allowing for new plants to have their seed hit fresh soil to spread and cause new plants to grow so that the ecosystem of the plant life isn't all the same age. It's super important. Christ is causing us and calling us to look 
and try to find the valuable places that we may be overlooking. If we want to put it into a human context, is it the poor? Is it that we need to be acknowledging that there's people who are having less? Is it that people who are being neglected and abused? Is it the environment that we're overlooking and the different aspects of that? Is it the own tensions that we cause within our own human people by the color of the skin or their race or religion or the different qualifiers we have for human life or different parts of life? Christ this week is calling that out because he also is stating how important they are in this and that We may not see it initially, how important that is, until we take the time, the patience to see the plants, the people grow and understand the impact that it has on our own lives. So the Twitter question this week will be, what are the, quote, keystone species in your life? What are the keystone species, the ones that change things, the ones that turn things over, the ones that cause you to look at things differently? What are those? I'd love to hear about it, and I'd love to hear some of the different analogies and ideas. Feel free to shoot me an email or respond to the Twitter question. I'd love to hear responses from you. It's texts like this that cause us to look deeper and to think more about who we are. And think about how we are all connected together. And that judgment is part of our problem as a human species. And we are told later in scripture how we are not the judge. That Christ isn't even the judge. That that's what God's role is. And we aren't supposed to be the ones sitting here judging. And I think this is when we look at John the Baptist as we're kind of slowly Moving beyond here, the end of John the Baptist, we have to realize and understand that he is not what we expect. Just like we don't expect that whales cause ecosystems to change dramatically, or wolves or prairie dogs. These keystone species change things for everything else. Just like Christ coming into our lives changed everything about our faith. We have to be open to understanding and looking for the keystone species that will change our life and change one's faith life. So, we'll wrap this up as we always do. I pray God blesses you through your faith and amazes you through science.